Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay. It says it should go live. So you know what? If I can do it on Sackheads then I'm going to do it here. Only you'll get a slightly different intro. So be quiet just for a sec. In a world where insanity reigns supreme and safety pin manufacturers are running out of metal for the diapers of the leftists, it's comforting to know an ancient, fat, long-haired, bearded reprobate has your mind in mind. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Children of all ages, broadcasting behind enemy lines in occupied California. And despite every attempt by the SHR Media Network to revoke his shameless contract, we return to the bloviating Zeppelin's Berserk Bobcat Saloon. And you know what I say at this point? Hit it. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of public. Wait a minute, doesn't that make this show twice as valuable as it was when you first started at 8 o'clock? So just like the chat show last night, you're getting twice the value for zero the money. No paywall here at SHR Media. Want everybody to know that. <laughs> Alaskan in chat says, okay, is this two shows in one going to start becoming a thing? Well, Alaskan, um, only when it's not working, which is really weird because Spreaker was indicating to me that it was working just fine, but that's okay. That's why it's my damn show. And if I want to start Spreaker again, I can start Spreaker again and pretend like all the stuff that occurred before now, well, that was just in your mind. It really didn't happen. Because when you play this back again, you're going to find out all the stuff you thought I said before about 8.05 didn't really happen. And it's all in your mind. It's all in your mind. And it didn't really occur. I'm going to do something a little different tonight. I have a very interesting song, or excuse me, a a short story that I've wanted to read for quite some time. And I've I've kind of been waiting for the proper time to do it. And I figured, you know, tonight, tonight's going to be that proper time. It's a commentary. And it's from an author that you may or may not have ever read before. Thanks for everybody saying that Spreaker is working. Now, because it's me, uh, probably YouTube or Facebook will go down. But that's okay. I made an amazing discovery last night. As I told you for the, the chat show, everything tanked last night. And all I had to do 
was pull out my cell phone and threaten to call Sean to help me sort this stuff out, and everything came back up magically. So apparently in terms of technology in the world of BZ, all I have to do is threaten calling Sean, and that's good enough. Then all of a sudden things begin to work. What I was going to tell you, and as I indicated, I've wanted to do this for quite some time. There's an author that I read quite consistently in the 60s and 70s, and this is when he began in the 60s and 70s. And then he he came back in the 80s and then uh, passed away. I think he's got 14 books to his credit. And it's a story called Harrison Bergeron. My guess would be because I'm a little older than most of you right now. I'm a child of the 60s. And probably, I'm guessing, most of you have not heard of this author named Kurt Vonnegut. You may have heard of his book, Slaughterhouse-Five. You may have even seen the movie that stemmed from that, Slaughterhouse-Five. Or perhaps you haven't. What I have tonight is a short story called Harrison Bergeron. And I'm reading it tonight because it deals with equality. The cat who wrote it, Kurt Vonnegut Jr., is a leftist, a socialist, grew up in, the, I think he was born in 1922, two years later than my dad. He served in World War II. He's had a life of strife and contention. Some crazy things happened to him in World War II. Uh, he's an atheist, and as I indicated, uh, a socialist. And of course, you wrap all these things into a writer who comes into his his mainstream of writing in the 60s, and then you have the making for a good leftist individual and, and someone who you wouldn't think would be penning a short story like this. I'm going to read the story first. And then at the end of that, I'm going to tell you some very unique and interesting things about Kurt Vonnegut. Uh, he died in 2007, if I'm not mistaken. So first, this is a story about equality and what equality means to... Well, let me preface this. This is something you definitely need to know. This short story was written by Kurt Vonnegut in 1961 at the conclusion of this story in terms of equality i want to ask you do you see any applicability here today because there's a very important and salient reason reason why i'm reading this to you today we'll discuss back and forth the phone lines will be open you can call if you want if you if you don't leave the phone lines very quiet and then the rest of the show, it, there's so much stuff, I'm going to rip through some of this stuff. Tons of news, some great audio cuts, etc. This is Harrison Bergeron, written in 1961 by Kurt Vonnegut Jr. The year was 2081, and everyone was finally equal. They weren't only equal before God and the law, they were equal every which way. No one was smarter than anybody else. Nobody was better looking than anybody else. 
Nobody was stronger or quicker than anybody else. All this equality was due to the 211th, 212th, and 213th Amendments to the Constitution and to the unceasing vigilance of agents of the United States Handicapper General. Some things about living still aren't quite right, though. April, for instance, still drove people crazy by not being springtime. And it was in that clammy month that the H.G. men, the Handicapper General men, took George and Hazel Bergeron's 14-year-old son, Harrison, away. It was tragic, all right, but George and Hazel couldn't think about it very hard. Hazel had a perfectly average intelligence, which meant she couldn't think about anything except in short bursts. And George, while his intelligence was way above normal, he had a little mental handicap radio in his ear. He was required by law to wear it at all times, and it was tuned to a government transmitter. Every 20 seconds or so, the transmitter would send out some sharp noise to keep people like George from taking unfair advantage of their brains. George and Hazel were watching television. There were tears on Hazel's cheeks, but she'd forgotten for the moment what they were about. On the television screen were ballerinas. A buzzer sounded in George's head. His thoughts fled in panic like bandits from a burglar alarm. That was a real pretty dance, that dance they just did, said Hazel. Huh? said George. That dance, it was nice, said Hazel. Uh, yep, said George. He tried to think a little about the ballerinas. Uh, they weren't really very good, no better than anybody else would have been anyway. They were burdened with sash weights and bags of birdshot, and their faces were masked so that no one, including a free and graceful gesture or a pretty face, would feel something like the cat drug in. George was toying with the vague notion that maybe dancers shouldn't be handicapped, but he didn't get very far with it because another noise in his ear scattered his thoughts. George winced. So did two out of the eight ballerinas. Hazel saw him wince. Having no mental handicap herself, she had to ask George what the latest sound had been. It sounded like somebody hitting a milk bottle with a ball-peen hammer, said George. I think it'd be real interesting hearing all the different sounds, said Hazel, a little envious. All the things they think up? Earn, said George. Only, if I was handicapper general, you know what I would do, said Hazel. Hazel, as a matter of fact, bore a strong resemblance, uh, resemblance to the handicapper general, a woman named named Diana Moon Glampers. If I was Diana Moon Glampers, said Hazel, I'd have chimes on Sunday, just chimes, kind of in honor of religion. If I could think, if it was just chimes, said George, well, maybe make them real loud, said Hazel. I think I'd make a good handicapper general. Good as anybody else, said George. Who knows better than I do what normal is, said George, said Hazel. Uh, right, said George. He began to think glimmeringly about his abnormal son, who was now in jail, about Harrison, but a 21-gun salute in his head stopped that. Boy, said Hazel, that was a doozy, wasn't it? It was such a doozy that George was white and trembling, and tears stood on the rims of his red eyes. Two of the eight ballerinas had collapsed to the studio floor, holding their temples. All of a sudden, you look so tired, said Hazel. Why don't you stretch out on the sofa so you can rest your handicap bag on the pillows, honey bunch? She was referring to the 47 pounds of birdshot in a canvas bag, which was padlocked around George's neck. Go on and rest that bag for a little while, she said. I don't care if you're not equal to me for a while. George weighed the bag with his hands. I don't mind it, he said. I don't notice it anymore. It's just a part of me. You, you've been so tired lately, kind of worn out, said Hazel. 
if there was just some way we could make a little hole in the bottom of the bag and just take out a few of those lead balls, just a few. Uh, two years in prison and $2,000 fine for every ball I took out, said George. I don't call that a bargain. If you could just take a few out when you came home from work, said Hazel. I mean, you don't compete with anybody around here. You just sat around. If I tried to get away with it, said George, then other people would get away with it. And pretty soon we'd be right back to the Dark Ages again, with everybody competing against everybody else. You wouldn't like that, would you? Oh, I'd hate it. I'd, I'd hate it, said Hazel. Well, there you are, said George. The minute people started cheating on laws, what do you think happens to society? Well, if Hazel hadn't been able to come up with an answer to this question, George couldn't have supplied one. A siren was going off in his head. I, I reckon it'd, it'd fall all apart, said Hazel. What would, said George blankly. Uh, society, said Hazel uncertainly. Uh, wasn't that what you said? Who knows, said George. The television program was suddenly interrupted by a news bulletin. It wasn't clear at first as to what the bulletin was about, since the announcer, like all announcers, had a serious speech impediment. For about half a minute and in a state of high excitement, the announcer tried to say, ladies and gentlemen, uh, he finally gave up, handed the bulletin to the ballerina to read. That's all right, Hazel said to the announcer. He tried. That's the big thing. He tried to do the best he could with what God gave him. He should get a nice raise for trying so hard. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, said the ballerina, reading the bulletin. She must have been extraordinarily beautiful because the mask she wore was hideous. And it was easy to see that she was the strongest and the most graceful of the dancers, for her handicap bags were as big as those worn by 200-pound men. And she had to apologize at once for her voice, which was very unfair, a very unfair voice for a woman to use. Her voice was warm, luminous, timeless. It was a melody. Excuse me, she said, and she began again, making her voice absolutely uncompetitive. Harrison Bergeron, age 14, she said in a grackle squawk, has just escaped from jail where he's held on suspicion of plotting to overthrow the government. He's a genius and an athlete and under-handicapped and should be regarded as extremely dangerous. Did I just do Marge Simpson? A police photograph of Harrison Bergeron was flashed on the screen upside down, then sideways, upside down again, then right side up. The picture showed the full length of Harrison against a background calibrated in feet and inches. He was exactly seven feet tall. The rest of Harrison's appearance was Halloween and hardware. Nobody had ever borne heavier handicaps. He'd outgrown hindrances faster than the H.G. men could think them up. And instead of a little ear radio for a mental handicap, he wore a tremendous pair of earphones and spectacles with thick, wavy lenses. The spectacles were intended to not only make him half-blind, but give him wanging headaches besides. And scrap metal was hung all over him. Ordinarily, there was a certain symmetry, a, a military neatness to the handicaps issued to strong people, but Harrison looked like a walking junkyard. In the race of life, Harrison carried 300 pounds, and to offset his good looks, the H.G. men required he wear at all times a red rubber ball for a nose, keep his eyebrows shaved off, and cover his even white teeth with black caps at Snaggletooth Random. If you see this boy, said the ballerina, do not, I repeat, do not. Try to reason with him. There was the shriek of a door being torn from its hinges. Screams and barking cries of consternation came from the television set. The photograph of Harrison Bergeron on the screen jumped around and again and again as though dancing to the tune of an earthquake. George Bergeron correctly identified the earthquake 
and well he might have, for many was the time his own home had danced to the same crashing tune. My God, said George, that must be Harrison. The realization it was blasted from his mind instantly by the sound of an automobile collision in his head. And when George could open his eyes, the photograph of Harrison was gone. A living, breathing Harrison filled the screen. Clanking, clownish, and huge, Harrison stood in the center of the studio. The knob of the uprooted studio door was still in his hand. Ballerinas, technicians, musicians, and announcers cowered on their knees before him, expecting to die. I am the emperor, cried Harrison. Do you hear? I am the emperor. Everybody must do what I say at once. He stamped his foot in the studio, shook. Even, if I, even as I stand here, he bellowed, crippled, hobbled, sickened. I'm a greater ruler than any man who ever lived. Now watch me become what I can become. And so Harrison tore the straps of his handicap harness like wet tissue paper. Tore straps guaranteed to support 5,000 pounds. Harrison's scrap iron bandages and his handicaps crashed to the floor. Harrison thrust his, thrum, his thumbs under the bar of the padlock that secured his head harness. The bar snapped like celery. Harrison smashed his headphones and spectacles against the wall. He flung away his rubber ball nose, revealing a man... That would have awed Thor, the god of thunder. I shall now select my empress, he said, looking down at the cowering people. Let the first woman who dares rise to her feet claim her mate and her throne. A moment passed, and then a ballerina arose, swaying like a willow. Harrison plucked the mental handicap from her ear, snapped off her physical handicaps with marvelous delicacy. Last of all, he removed her mask. She was blindingly beautiful. Now, said Harrison, taking her hand, shall we show the people the meaning of the word dance? Music, he commanded. The musicians scrambled back into their chairs, and Harrison stripped them of their handicaps, too. Play your best, he told them, and I'll make you barons and dukes and earls. The music began. It was normal at first, cheap, silly, and false, but Harrison snatched two musicians from their chairs, waved them like batons as he sang. The music, he wanted it played that way. He slammed them back in their chairs. The music began again and was much improved. Harrison and his empress merely listened to the music for a while, listened gravely as though synchronizing their heartbeats with it. They shifted their weights on their toes. Harrison placed his big hands on the girl's tiny waist, letting her sense the weightlessness that would soon be hers. And then, in an explosion of joy and grace, into the air they sprang. Not only were the laws of the land abandoned, but the law of gravity and the law of motion as well. They reeled, whirled, swiveled, flounced, capered, gambled, and spun. They leaped like deer on the moon. The studio ceiling was 30 feet high, but each leap brought the dancers nearer to it. It became the obvious intention to kiss the ceiling, and they kissed it. And then, neutralizing gravity with love and pure will, they remained suspended in air inches below the ceiling, and they kissed each other for a very long, long time. And it was then that Diana Moon Glampers, the handicapper general, came into the studio with a double-barreled 10-gauge shotgun. She fired twice, and the Emperor and the Empress were dead before they hit the floor. Diana Moon Glampers loaded the gun again. She aimed it at the, at the musicians and told them they had ten seconds to get their handicaps back on. And it was then that the Bergeron's television tube burned out. Hazel turned to comment about the blackout to George, but George had gone out to the kitchen for a can of beer. George came back in with a beer paused while a handicap signal shook him up and then he sat down again you've been crying he said to hazel yep she said what about i forget she said something really sad on television what was it he said well, it's all kind of mixed up in my mind said hazel 
Oh, forget sad things, said George. I always do, said Hazel. That's my girl, said George. Ah, he winced. There was a sound of a riveting gun in his head. Gee, I could tell that one was a doozy, said Hazel. Oh, you can say that again, said George. Gee, said Hazel, I could tell that one was a doozy. <clears throat> so ask yourselves, ladies and gentlemen, who are the handicappers general in our world right now? Who is George and Hazel? And more importantly, who is Harrison Bergeron? Or do we even have a Harrison Bergeron? Is he you? Is he me? I'm not even sure anymore. Here's the odd thing about Kurt Vonnegut. <clears throat> he wrote over 50 years, 14 novels, three short story collections, five plays, five works of nonfiction, and a bunch of collections that were published before his death and some posthumously at well. He studied at Mellon University. He was raised in any and in the uh, let's see. He was raised in Indianapolis. He uh, went into World War II. He was deployed to Europe to fight in World War II. He was captured by the Germans during the Battle of the Bulge. He was interned in Dresden and survived the Allied bombing of the city. Remember the firestorming of of Dresden. He took refuge in a meat locker of the slaughterhouse where he was imprisoned. And there's a lot more about Kurt Vonnegut. But who is he? Who is, who is you? Who am I? What's equality? Leftists would have you believe many, many things. And I've said, there is no equality. No one is equal until everyone is equal. And then I would just ask you in this first half hour, before we go to a break, do we really have equality? And if we don't, who's stopping it? Conservative media done right. You're listening to the SHR Media Network. From a public locker inside a dilapidated Long Island rail station comes a show designed to piss off liberals using truth, facts, and ridicule. The Lid Radio Show, featuring the conservative voice from the People's Republic of New York. The Lid himself, Jeff Dunnitz. Tune in every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific on the SHR Media Network. Go to shrmedia.com. At Lid Radio, we fight for the truth, justice, and a good kosher T-bone. If you don't listen... Hillary Clinton might sneak into your bedroom in her housecoat late at night and blame you for her election loss. It's the Lid Radio Show with Jeff Dunnitz. For 50 years, I've seen the American people blinded by corrupt politicians, a lapdog media, and deceptive Islam. The one thing the elites fear is one man with a cane. I'm Dave Milner. Join me through Spreaker, iTunes, and SoundCloud through SHR Media and the Western Free Radio Network for half a century of experienced perspective on political and social issues weekly on The Unpleasant Blind Guy. 
and catch me on Jeff Mitchell's EDL Radio on blogtalkradio.com. There's no surrender ever. Because truth is not always pleasant. This is Shannon Wright of The Right Way with Shannon and Mike in the AM. Mike's not here, so I gotta talk fast. You gotta join us, fall season, getting ready to start up with a whole bunch of new stuff. News and food and politics and sports and entertainment and a whole bunch of stuff. But wait, Mike's coming. I gotta go. Remember, Shannon and Mike in the AM on SHR Media, Monday through Thursday, 7 to 9 AM. Make sure you tune in. Featuring right thinking from a left brain and doing the job the American maggots won't. BZ is fundamentally changing America one diaper at a time. Just when safety pin manufacturers are running out of metal for the diapers of the leftists, where the speech is free, but the drinks are not. The bloviating Zeppelin's Berserk Bobcat Saloon can be heard every Tuesday and Thursday night, commencing at 11 p.m. Eastern and 8 p.m. Pacific, where pushback is a requisite art form in and of itself. Let your ossicles be truly liberated when you listen to the bloviating Zeppelin's Berserk Bobcat Saloon only on SHR Media Network. No ferrets were harmed in the making of this ad. Join me, Jack Alexander, for the Jack Alexander Experiment podcast as I take a unique outsider's look at the issues affecting the USA. I fearlessly take on the issues that everyone else is too scared to touch. The Jack Alexander Experiment Podcast is available wherever good podcasts can be found, like Spreaker, iHeartRadio, and Google Podcast. The Jack Alexander Experiment, because it's not a matter of left versus right, it's a matter of right versus wrong. It's your business diva here, Melanie Collette. I am inviting you to a front row seat as I discuss some of the most intriguing details of wealth and finance with today's movers and shakers in the world of business. Listen in and discover financial truths on a global, domestic, and household scale. Uncover topics that will impact your wallet today and in the future. Money Talk with Melanie airs Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. East, 2 p.m. West, right here on SHR Media and High Plains Pundit Talk Radio. You can't afford to miss it. Featuring the effervescent contrarian Sackheads Clint plus the unrestrained bulbosity of BZ, the Sackheads Against Tyranny is a real chat show. Doubling your late-night conservative talk show pleasure with double the hosts, you can listen every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Pacific, 11 p.m. Eastern. Please note, some contents may have settled during shipping. Member FDIC, batteries not included, warranty void in Montenegro. Conservative media done right. You're listening to the SHR Media Network. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, this is the final broadcast for BC's Berserk Bobcat Saloon radio show. This week, gotcha. Next week, I'm still waiting. Like I said, I I was supposed to have a guest this week. Uh, He didn't show up. That's okay. I'm still back in serious negotiations. Um, and I'm not going to say his name because things happen. So it was just me. That's why it's just me tonight. Things like that happen. I apologize. Only me. But next Tuesday night, I still have crossed phalanges that Kurt Schlichter will be on. Originally, I wanted to get him on with Matt Betley so they can just blah. 
about politics because they're both both uh, Marines, retired Marines. There is no such thing as an ex-Marine. I remember that very important aspect. But I'm hoping Kurt Schlichter will be on next Tuesday. And uh, Thursday night, well, I guess you'll just have to wait and see. In the meantime, before I get into the, the meat of it all, I have a caller, do I not? Who is this unidentified mystery caller? This is Mike BZ. Mike, how you doing, sir? I'm doing fine, BZ. Uh, those two, those two. Uh, what was the term you used for those two characters in the in the story you just read? Oh, in Harrison Bergeron. Yeah. Well, one was George, and the other one was no, Hazel. A specific governmental term that you used. That you oh, the, the, oh, right. The 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 government uh, was the handicapper general. Handicapper general. That's you know what the the media thinks it's the handicapper general. That's who that that's who they think they are. You know well, that's an interesting because they think take. they can tell us what to think, how to think, and when to think it. That's a very interesting take on that. Not bad, Mike. Not bad. Now, is it particularly working out for them? I'll let you be the judge of that. I just thought it was it was very interesting that we had someone who was um, clearly a leftist in in terms of his thoughts, his plot, his uh, philosophy, his beliefs. Um, another f- weird thing was he, his life was full of some some really kind of terrible stuff. Uh, he in in 1944, after he survived the firebombing of of Dresden, he returned home. He came back home on Mother's Day, on Mother's Day weekend, and when he got back, he discovered his mother had committed suicide the previous night by overdosing on sleeping pills. So, they think that uh, she may have have done that purposely. She may not have done that purposely. Then they thought that she was worried about uh, Kurtz deployment her own lack of success as a writer and so three months after his mother's suicide he got sent to europe back again as an intelligence scout with 106th infantry he fought in the battle of the bulge that was the final german offensive of the war he was captured in december uh with 50 other american soldiers he was taken by boxcar to a prison camp south of dresden in saxony and the RAF bombed the prisoner trains, and it killed, bombings killed about 150 Allied soldiers. Luckily, not him. He was sent to Dresden. He called that the first fancy city that he had ever seen. He lived in a slaughterhouse in that city where the, the, the uh, prisoners were kept. He worked in a factory that made, of all things, malt syrup for pregnant women. He recalled the sirens going off when other cities were bombed. Nobody, the Germans, did not expect Dresden to get bombed. And because of that, there were very few air raid shelters in town. There weren't any real war industries in town. So they thought, hey, we're, we're okay. We got cigarette factories, we got hospitals, and we got clarinet factories. And in the meantime, hundreds of B-17s bombed Dresden 
to the point where the firestorms were such that people said it was akin to a nuclear weapon having detonated minus the atomics. It absolutely leveled everything in Dresden. Um, he was a struggling writer. Uh, he kind of broke out after Slaughterhouse Five. Um, his personal life after that, though, started disintegrating. Uh, his wife found Christianity. He was an atheist. Uh, he had a son. His son suffered a mental breakdown. Uh, Vonnegut went through all sorts of chronic dis- uh, depression. And yet, there we have, and the reason I read that tonight is because we have a leftist who wrote an article, a, sh- a story, I should say, from the 60s, nailing, not having any idea how prescient he was going to be, nailing the situation that leftists would care to force on you in 2019. Absolutely astounding. Thanks, Call. Uh, right. Thanks, thanks, Mike, for that. I think that was a, that was a pretty uh, insightful remark that you had on that. Yeah, and, and furthermore, to add to that remark, I think that I think that if you look at it, the sun is being represented by uh, President Trump. I was wondering if people were going to go there. Who is our Harrison Bergeron today? Is it one person or is it is it a series of people? Is it you and me? I, I, th- I think it's well. If you want to go with a series of people, you know, President Trump represents the American people. So if you're going to go with a series of people as being Harrison, it's going to be the American people. They're aiming. They're not just aiming at us. They're aiming at the American. Uh, not just aiming at him, but they're aiming, aiming because we elected the man. You know, uh, they're aiming at us as well. They're standing there with the shotgun aiming at us to try and kill us. We're the band, you know. The people that elect them are the band. They were playing the music that the uh, the emperor and his wife were, were dancing to. Pretty nicely played. Pretty nicely done. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate that. All right. Take care, sir. If anybody wants to call, it's area code 209-284-3210. 209-284-3210. God, I hope I get to them. I do have some happy stories. Um, But I'm also going to open with a ton. A ton of stories to go tonight. Stop. Wait. Hey, how can I play news? And I can't really play news when it appears that I've got somebody else on the line. Is this another caller? And if so, go ahead. Oh, yeah, it's Kaiser. How do you... That was an epic thing you read from Kurt Vonnegut. Um, only a person who has experienced things can actually talk on them. And uh, I want to thank you for reading that, because historically, uh, what people don't realize, it wasn't just B-17s, it was the uh, Brits who actually uh, promulgated that attack. Oh, they, and they pounded, the firestorm was intentional. They, oh, yes, they pounded the living crap out of that again, and it didn't stop. Yeah. 
But it was interesting they use incendiary bombs because most of the town was made. I mean, when I was there, it was amazing. Uh, you could actually see postcards from before the war and then after in the change. And uh, there's a book written about the intentional firestorms. The British, that's one thing the British do do right. I know I said do do. Um, <laughs> My father's work they, was do do. Yeah, but they actually do get something right. And the interesting thing to me is they're open about what they do. And yes, it needed to be done. It was an enemy. Yes, it was. Uh, but not necessarily in that fashion. And people were the ones that couldn't make it to bomb shelters. This is where it gets problematic died from lack of oxygen because the firestorm intentionally sucked up all oxygen. We're talking about tornadoes of fire. And that's why people said it was just like Hiroshima and just like Nagasaki, but there was no atomic residue from it. And guess what? The winners write the history. And guess what? The winners didn't have to pay a cost for that war crime, and, and that would have been a war crime if we go by today's standards from the SJW. That's true. You get where I'm coming from? But you had to do what you had to do back then in order to win yeah. a war. We lost, oh, yeah. we lost more men. The one, of the one of the few things that my dad told me is that we lost, depending on where you were training, and he was training, uh, he came back, and began, uh, he was an instructor pilot in B-25s. And this is one of the few stats that he remarked upon, and no one wanted to get out, because this is a, a, a percentile that no one today would tolerate in the media. At, at up to one point, before we even got a fighter pilot or a bomber pilot, in the seat of an aircraft in combat, we had occasionally up to a 50% loss of students during instruction in aircraft. You're exactly right. The 8th Air Force Museum, a lot of people, you know, they get stuck in the Army, Navy, Marine, Air Force mentality, right? And Coast Guard, too. Uh, here's the real deal. The 8th Air Force acknowledges that fact. One half of the flights went out, did not return on every flight going over Germany. Well, complete war is not something we practice anymore. The British, and if you can remember, thought we were crazy to go with daylight bombing. Right. The Yankees are stupid. They're going to take incredible casualties. So guess what? We took incredible casualties. Yes, we did. One of and, the things, and, one of the things yeah. my dad also told me is, if you had the new guy into your barracks, over in in England at least, he flew for the eighth. He said right. you very seldom ever said anything to the new guy, because if you made a friend of the new guy, chances are really good the new guy was gone. The next day. Right. From a scraping run, whatever happened. Yeah, you're, that's exactly correct. It, it was eye-opening to me. Uh, when I went over to Iraq in 05, uh, I will 
bring it back to your point, but it was very eye-opening to me. You asked me a very prescient question uh, one time, and I'm, I answered it, and it was about what I thought would happen with um, the Kurds. And, of course, we've seen it happen. But the point I'm getting to is when I went over to Iraq to train Iraqi police, 75% of them would not live their first year. Now, I stand on my stats. I'm not going to tell you what they were, but they were much better than that. And that's from three separate agencies, Department of Justice, uh, Department of State, and another agency. The interesting point is they had they were using the same shit they used to train police in Yugoslavia when that nastiness was going on. Mm-hmm. And that same lesson plan. And they were having like gender bullshit. I mean, all kinds of these feel good things. And it was in your lesson plan. Well, because of that nature of those people and people didn't understand, just like when I called in with Adam Kakesh, you heard me speak some Arabic. Right. Uh, the point is, they didn't understand the culture. And a lot of the people they brought over didn't understand it. They got, like, at DOJ headquarters, which is a brownstone. It's not that big building you see in D.C. There's actually a brownstone that's actually the headquarters. And the funniest part was I think we got a two-hour course from some dude who was a Muslim, but he was an American, completely homogenized into American society. And he was telling me, who lived in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia during the first Gulf War, what Islam was. And I'm like, I get what you're saying, but you're wrong. You know, had that offline conversation. So when the BS of gay, lesbian, uh, homosexual, transgender, all that, all those classwork, and that was a large portion of that classwork from Yugoslavia. And it was taken directly from that, actually, the UN mission there and the ISATAP mission there. I would give them, like, maybe a five, ten-minute brief on it because I have to mention it. It's in the lesson plan. And I wrote my own lesson plan from there. And I gave them shit they could actually use. Yeah, and then you moved on, and then you went into reality as to how to how to survive. Yeah, exactly. And even the... They were still teaching like two and three man um, patrols, and they don't travel that way. They travel in um, uh, either Hiluxes or these little Chevy vehicles that we're giving them that were pickups. Some right. of them had um, machine guns on. Right. But there were masses of people. So when you heard about a lot of uh, police dying, Iraqi police or Iraqi army, it was because one vehicle gets hit and you got 10 people or eight people inside the damn vehicle. And that is why the casualties were so high. So we intensified the training on that portion. But all of that was breaking all the rules. And I did it not just in al not just in Baghdad, but in Mosul. And I'll stand beyond my stats on it. And going back to your point with Vonnegut. Vonnegut was a thinking man. 
he may have been a prisoner of war, but he, just like when you asked me that pointed question, and it was a good question, and this is offline, so I'm going to open up my answer to everybody. You asked me what do I think about what Trump did. Right, moving, pulling and soldiers was, out of Syria. Yeah, and I was conflicted. I said, I see it both ways. I, I knew the Kurds, again, would be hit hard. I didn't, from the time he asked that question, did 24 hours pass? And I said, they're going to get hit hard. The problem is it's become a blood and treasure dump. Not for them, don't get me wrong, but in that entire theater of war, how much of our tax dollars have been spent? How many men have died needlessly? Good men, better men than me, BZ. You know I'm, I'm, I speak the truth when I say that. I'm not the end-all, be-all. But what I will say is, when do you cut bait i mean when the shark eats the ship okay i'll tell you what i'll tell you what we got about 10 minutes before the top of the hour break what i like to do you you posed an interesting question let me wrap wrap up kurt vonnegut i have a few more things to say about his background and then i want to relate it to the story that i read then i want to come back to you so can you hang on for about five minutes or so just don't go away. Don't hang up. Just kind of hang on for a little bit. Yeah, I can, brother. Okay. No All righty, because I want to make these points with regard to Kurt Vonnegut. <clears throat> he he kind of eschewed big mainstream political ideologies. And as I indicated, he was big into socialism. And he was also, which is a weird thing, and I know this because I read every Kurt Vonnegut book in the 60s and 70s and 80s. He was one of my all-time favorite authors because, as everybody knows who knows me, I was a voting Democrat before I was anything else. Hair down to my ass, a long beard. Well, wait, just kind of like I am now. Except that I was a big old hanging leftist. And anything that uh, uh, was left-leaning in orientation, I read it. And, uh, of course, I was in college in the 60s and 70s. Huh, imagine that. Kurt Vonnegut was an advocate for social Darwinism. He had the spirit of, he believed in survival of the fittest in American society, okay? He thought that socialism was going to be really good for what he thought was the the common man. Uh, He would quote Eugene Debs a whole bunch. Uh, Eugene Debs was like this five-time presidential candidate loser, Um, but it was one of his favorite quotes and it was similar to as long as there's a lower class, Eugene Debs said, I'm in it. As long as there's a criminal element, I'm in it. As long as there is a soul or somebody in prison, I'm in it. I am not free. Vonnegut was really disappointed that communism and socialism 
were unhappy topics and not a common topic of discussion at the American dining table. And he thought that that communism and socialism, actually socialism comes first, then communism, that they would be really good beneficial substitutes to modern social and economic systems and, and capitalism. But he wrote that story back in 1961. And the reason I brought it before you tonight is that's a leftist who even then, in 1961, having gone through what he went through, having experienced what he experienced, realized back then that the kind of equality that's wanted by a certain class of people is absolutely ridiculous. And if you don't think that's the kind of equality, air quotes, that leftist Democrats and the American media maggots, by dint of the other two, want to push upon you, I would say that you're badly mistaken. And that was the point of the story tonight. Now, let me go back to Kaiser, because I want to ask him this. We got about another five minutes, and I think we can wrap this up in five. Kaiser, I'm thinking that you have to draw a line somewhere. And yes, I realize that in northern Syria, primarily we're talking about a bunch of special ops forces that are kind of doing the similar thing that you were doing in Iraq. My guess would be, because there aren't enough of them, there's only about a thousand or so, give or take, of American forces, boots on the ground. And my guess would be that they're... They're mostly in charge of training, directing, creating, and then they send the Kurdish forces themselves out to do whatever it is that they're going to do. And they will supplant them with material, etc., and help them out, but a thousand aren't enough to do it. But D.C. went nuts when we pulled them out. Well, the big question is exactly what you pointed out if we're needed in syria can we stay if we're needed in iraq can we stay if we're needed in afghanistan can we stay pretty soon we're going to run out of fodder we're going to run out of people so where do we draw the line things are finite they're not infinite so what do we do right here's my thoughts on it SF also has the role um, ODA nowadays, and and also SEALs and whatnot. You know the uh, Air Force uh, air traffic controllers, and also their PJs and the, their other assets. Okay, they can call for fire. The Marines force reconnaissance, or now I think it's um, uh, MARSOC. I think is what they call themselves now. Um, that stuff all falls under the header that they can call for fire, i.e. from artillery. They can call for fire if it's close enough to a waterborne area from ships. Uh, they can also call for fire by air. And that is a force multiplier. You know, air does win war. Yes. So I'm not an advocate of withdrawing SF. Except, you know, 
I think we went really heavy with the SF troopers. And but that but here's the problem with Syria. Okay, first off, ISIS was us. ISIS was created by the CIA. Nobody can doubt this. Under Obama, um, and our special forces. Uh, okay, stop. Were can, going can you stop that. for just a minute? Stop for just a minute. Exp- yeah. I know what you mean by that. But for the people yeah. that are that are listening now live, or they're in the chat room, or they're listening in podcast, please explain, if you can, about thirty seconds, what you mean by the CIA created ISIS. What do you mean by that? Well, what I mean is the CIA, under the direction of the president, and most of them are fellow travelers. I love how you talk about uh, the communists. I have, I too was almost a communist at seventeen until I went to Germany. And I actually saw what East Germany looked like compared to West Germany. And I understand that communism was a failure. I, I yeah. read Das Kapital, all that stuff. Right. Because my cousin was going to college and I happened to live with him after 14 because of an incident. And I lived with my cousin for three years and I got indoctrinated in that garbage. And I was like, that was what opened the door to me that said there's something wrong with this ideology. And I thought I was absolutely correct. I That's why I understand these SJWs so badly. But see, the problem is the wall fell, the Iron Curtain fell, and there is, China is far off, and, and we've pablomized them so easily that Apple works over there. All these and this has been 30 years we've been doing that. Okay, Two right, business in China. Got to bring, gotta bring you back. Got to bring you back. Okay. Right, ISIS bro. and CIA. ISIS and CIA. How did the CIA create ISIS? Well, we called them the good Muslim. It was the same Muslim. It was Al-Qaeda. It was ISIS. It was the same thing, and we're funding them. Our Air Force is pretty good. I've seen them miss drops, but it's not by much. Well, when you have them misdrops over the forward line of uh, engagement, the flot, the forward line of battle, the flob, whatever you want to call it, you know, every every agency has a different thought process on it. When you see them miss that mark so far, I've seen Air Force drops burn into the ground, i.e. Hummers come out of their tie-downs, uh, other equipments come out when you're tying it down off their cargo um, and the parachutes not blossom, whatever. I've seen it burn into the ground often. Okay, but Kaiser, I got to take a break. That much. I got to take a break. Um, right. Can you hang on over the break? And then yep, we'll, yep. we'll wrap up with what you think maybe we should do with, do we stay in the Middle East in perpetuity? And, and we'll, we'll answer that. We'll get to that no. question. Okay, all right, good. Okay. One-word answer. We'll flesh it out a little bit when we come back. I am BZ, the Bloviating Zeppelin. It's uh, Thursday, October the 10th, the year of our Lord, 2019. You are in the saloon. We're going to break for a little bit. Please come back. Conservative media done right. You're listening to the SHR Media Network. Hey, this is Michael Wright. And I'm Shannon Wright. Join us for The Right Way with Shannon and Mike, Monday through Thursday. From 7 to 9 a.m. right here on SHR Media. Why are they joining us? For fun things like sports, politics. Oh, maybe some news and entertainment. And all kinds of other things. Money and recipes and events. All kinds of stuff. 
Yeah, so join us Monday through Thursday, 7 to 9 a.m. here on SHRmedia.com. From a public locker inside a dilapidated Long Island rail station comes a show designed to piss off liberals using truth, facts, and ridicule. The Lid Radio Show, featuring the conservative voice from the People's Republic of New York, the Lid himself, Jeff Dunnett. Tune in every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific on the SHR Media Network. Go to shrmedia.com. At Lid Radio, we fight for the truth, justice, and a good kosher T-bone. If you don't listen, Hillary Clinton might sneak into your bedroom in her house coat late at night and blame you for her election loss. It's the Lid Radio Show with Jeff Dunnett. Hey girls, Carry Girl Gear is here. More and more women every day are concealed carrying, participating in competitive shooting, and getting firearms training. It's not a boys club anymore, and we don't have to shop in their stores anymore either. Finally, a cool and unique clothing line just for women. Dope tees and hats for the patriotic concealed carry and 2A girl. So what are you waiting for? Go check out carrygirlgear.com today. It's your business diva here, Melanie Collette. I am inviting you to a front row seat as I discuss some of the most intriguing details of wealth and finance with today's movers and shakers in the world of business. Listen in and discover financial truths on a global, domestic, and household scale. Uncover topics that will impact your wallet today and in the future. Money Talk with Melanie airs Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. East, 2 p.m. West, right here on SHR Media and High Plains Pundit Talk Radio. You can't afford to miss it. The new show on the SHR Media Network, Sackheads Against Tyranny on shrmedia.com. Go there quick like a bunny, 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific, every Wednesday, live and direct on the SHR Media Network, shrmedia.com. Be there. For 50 years, I've seen the American people blinded by corrupt politicians, a lapdog media, and deceptive Islam. The one thing the elites fear is one man with a cane. I'm Dave Milner. Join me through Spreaker, iTunes, and SoundCloud, through SHR Media and the Western Free Radio Network for half a century of experienced perspective on political and social issues weekly on The Unpleasant Blind Guy. And catch me on Jeff Mitchell's EDL Radio on blogtalkradio.com. There's no surrender ever. Because truth is not always pleasant. Broadcasting behind enemy lines in occupied California, a mere two miles from the state capital, the bloviating Zeppelin's Berserk Bobcat Saloon Radio Show can be heard every Tuesday and Thursday night at 8 p.m. Pacific and 11 p.m. Eastern, only on the SHR Media Network. Go to shrmedia.com to listen. You can also watch on the SHR Media Facebook page and the SHR Media YouTube channel. No goldfish were abused in the making of this ad. 
Conservative media done right. You're listening to the SHR Media Network. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. Holy crap, it's the second hour already. Where does the time go? It is fleeting, like my life. In the first hour, I didn't have a guest, but I thought I would read a short story by Kurt Vonnegut Jr. called Harrison Bergeron, which describes uh, something about equality. Do we have real equality in the world, or do we just have some sort of a PC leftist version of equality? Then we got into uh, Syria. We've got Kaiser on the phone, and I asked Kaiser before the break, I said, with troops stationed in the Middle East and so many people unhappy with President Trump's decision to remove special forces, primarily special forces from northern Syria, and D.C. and the military segment has certainly appeared as though it's coming apart at the seams over this this terrible decision by President Trump, my question to Kaiser was, then what do we do? Do we just stay in the Middle East in perpetuity and stay wherever it is that we deign to put troops and their boots on the ground. In a word, Kaiser said no, but do you have any more thoughts about that, Kaiser? Like, okay, do we, if if we're unhappy with the removal of special forces from Syria, is it a matter of timing? Is it a matter of we shouldn't remove them all at once? We should remove some of them in a piecemeal fashion? What are we missing here? No. Uh, when I said no, I meant to explain further, but we're, the show tempo, I'm trying to keep up, so I'm not hogging up the time. I want more callers uh, because there's probably other people that have a lot to add. The no is with a caveat. We already have and we will always have in per, per, perpetuity, we will always have People in Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. We'll right. always have them in Dubai. We'll always have them in Kuwait. We will always have people in Kurdistan, even though people don't understand what I'm saying, it will always be there. Okay. And same with um, Afghanistan. Uh, Panjir will always be uh, held by certain people. Panjir. And that's all. I, I can't really open source a lot of this stuff, but what I can tell you is there are certain realities to the function. Here's the issue. When you have a leftist government involved and the CIA, a lot of people don't want to face up to this, and there's a lot of dudes that actually speak a lot of truth on this. It is majorly leftist, just like State Department. Yes, Those it is. Those two things are the deep state. Yes. In in the end, uh, DNIs come and go. I've talked numerous times about things, but I can tell you for a fact, and this even happened when I was in As- Suleimania, okay? And Suleimania was a Kurdish area. This is in 05 and 06. <clears throat> Uh, safest place to be in Iraq. You didn't have to wear body armor. You know why? Because the Kurds kept it safe, the Peshmerga. But nobody wants to think, and I'm glad that you brought that up, about the PKK, all the different factions within the Yazidis. People don't understand any of the dynamics over there. Yeah. 
They're true, and, they're fluctuous, and they change with your underwear. Well, but the one thing is most of them love Americans over there, even the communist PKK, okay, because we keep them safe. No fly zones. Remember Bush did that. Right. But he didn't do it down in Sunni or Shia land. Shia land was al Qut. That was, uh, that's where I first went to my first mass grave. And um, there's a reality to this stuff where you're, where you're talking to people and they're just saying X amount of brothers have been killed and sisters. And, and it's in their physical line, their family line, because, they have a lot of brothers and sisters. They're like we were in the 40s. Having 10, 11 kids was not six, seven kids. It was not odd for an American to have a family that long, that large. But there was a time where we said there no more no fly zone down there. And I remember after the Gulf War watching the helicopters land. And when I heard the Shia, who I was working with, telling me, yeah, we were doing really good against the fight because Bush said fight against Saddam. And he, they were all like, yeah, we were doing real good until the, the no-fly zone was lifted and then the helicopters came in and the game changed. And that's problematic. And remember, Bush Sr. was CIA. Right, and, that's and true. And the neocons and neoprogs I, 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 I'm very particular in my language. The neocons, I'm not a big fan of any neocon. I'm not a fan of the neo-progressives, the neo-progs. And it's because they all are, they've all got buy-in to this. Let and me see if, that's how they make their money. Let me see if I can bottom line this. Because right. I want to get into some other topics. All right. In terms of Syria, should we have just let our spec ops stay where they are in Syria, northern Syria, with regard to the Kurds? I wouldn't say Syria. I would say uh, because they there's an actual map that they have for Kurdistan. If we would have left them in Kurdistan area, and, and I'm not geopolitics wizard, but if we kept them just in the Kurdistani area, the Kurdistans, the Kurdish people can fight for themselves. They're very good fighters, okay? No matter who's there, they are good fighters. All we needed to do is leave the assets for them to bring to bear something other than just, you know, this sticky wet masturbational fantasy that everybody has in America that all you need is a gun. No, there's other assets that can be brought to bear against you. And that's why it's stupid to have that kind of mentality. But if you had a force multiplier, you can bring in air raids. If it's close to the sea, you can bring in sea fire. If it's close to some friendly artillery you can bring in artillery fire these force multipliers mean something and good training so you know ten one half dozen the other this is just a simple guy who's nobody you know i'm nothing special i never claim to be 
I just happen to be places that I can tell you from, well, four reasons I can tell you, I can tell you this much. I know for a fact that there are people on one side of the, of the forward line of battle and people on the other side making cell phone calls during the Obama administration. If you're going out with your guys tonight, don't do it. Uh, your guys have to leave to go, to make this clear, but don't take your guys out because they're going to, the guys that you trained are going to get ambushed okay. and it went both ways. All right. And contractors, people forget they are the plausible scapegoats of a nation. And there's one person who has monitored every contractor death, and you guys can look him up online. Not giving you his real name, I'm telling you the name he goes by, Farrell Jundy. And he's probably the most reasoned person on this matter. And um, that's what I have to say. I mean, you know, I, I've tried to be as forthcoming as I can on this, but that's why my thought process Alrighty. is the way it is. All right, brother. Thank you kindly, sir. God bless. God bless you. Right, Take be care. Well, be safe. Aloha. Kaiser Chef. And if you would think that I have some politics coming, well, just like I started, I do have some politics. And I do have some news. And I have some breaking news. And I have a couple of stories that just came out today. I might get to some happy stories. I'm not sure. I hope. I got 45 minutes. I'm going to have to rip and roar through all of this. Can I do it? We begin bombing in five minutes. Guidance is internal. 12, 11. Maybe I can. 9. Ignition sequence start. 6, 5, 4. Here it comes. 2, 1. I will build a great, great wall. Stand by for news. And would it be a little odd if you found out that Trump had a uh, a uh, a rally tonight in Minneapolis? Welcome back. Well, as President Trump gears up for a rally in Minneapolis this Thursday, the police department there announced a new policy. Banning officers, actually the mayor's office announced it, they ban officers from wearing their uniforms at political events. Huh, imagine that, just for Trump. Wow, what a lucky guy Trump is. Some officers now are pushing back, selling these Cops for Trump t-shirts, all proceeds going to police union charities. The president of that yeah, union, by the Lieutenant way, Bob Kroll. By the way, I bought one of those. When I get it, I'm going to wear it. Joins us now. Bob, thank you very much uh, for joining us this morning. So you're wearing the shirt that these police officers can wear. The idea is the mayor there, liberal mayor, hates Trump, yep. has said they changed the policy 12 hours after the speech was announced. Officers can no longer wear their formal uniforms. You're saying, well, don't wear your uniform then. You can wear this shirt instead. <laughs> That's this. right, Pete. In compliance with policy, uh, we don't want any issues. So we just thought, you know what, we'll, we'll turn the place into a sea of red with these shirts we designed. 
and uh, they're available, and we can't keep them on the shelves. They've been selling out as fast as they come in. Yeah, and They've I been selling them. out. So your, your anticipation is you know your police force. You know the, the guys and gals wearing blue in Minneapolis. You, you believe there's a lot of support for this president. And in the past, the police department there has had to stand behind, say, uh, President Barack Obama or President Bill Clinton. In this case, they weren't given that option with President Trump. Oh, funny they how that have, works ironically, out. they were ordered to be behind those presidents, and we got calls of the Federation asking if they could be forced to do it. And uh, command staffers were behind, and they've since advanced in the ranks. And uh, now we're here, and officers want to be there in uniform, and they're not allowed to be. So uh, beyond law enforcement, we've just got a, a big, a big uh, groundswell of support be behind the president and the police. So we're going to have a lot of people wearing these shirts. So we, were, we just saw on our screens, you may not have been able to see it, uh, a video of Barack Obama standing there in Minneapolis with police behind him. So you're saying in previous administrations, law enforcement was compelled or, or told to stand behind the president because it is the commander in chief. In this case, yes. uh, they're being told they cannot. Uh, and, and, you know, why is it that your police force feels like President Trump is someone they want to support so much? Well, because you know, he supports you. You compare the administrations, the Obama administration. As opposed to Barack Obama, who hated cops, began the war on cops. I credit Barack Obama, Eric Holder, Loretta Lynch et al. for the beginning of the war on cops. The 21st uh, century policing they, and implicit bias training. Then. So, yeah, it is the war on cops. Oh, but wait, wait. Didn't we hear, didn't we, weren't we told... It, it, I'm sure leftists told you. We just found out yesterday. <clears throat> the, everyone is saying the new, fo the new Fox poll. The new Fox poll shows that uh, Trump is going down. And it's a Fox poll, so they must be correct. Except that now we discovered that uh, Fox News played a trick on viewers and they oversampled Democrats by 14 points in what turns out to be a junk impeachment poll. As in, yeah, how many people want to impeach Trump? Well, that poll by Fox show, showed, air quotes, that 51% of Americans want President Trump impeached. But it turns out that Gateway Pundit got access to the stats and determined that Fox News not uh, rigged their polls and oversampled Democrats. That shouldn't be any kind of uh, a shock to you. It should be a shock, however, when something like this comes out that I found today as well. This is a poll by NPR. Well, first, that should tell you most of what you need to know about the iteration of Fox News that exists today. That's a story for another time. I'll wager that you did not hear anything about this new NPR poll that became extant on the 10th today, which says that hmm, more Americans trust OMB and the administration than Congress and the media. You didn't hear that there was a new NPR, PBS, NewsHour, Marist poll released today, Thursday, that shows that more Americans trust the Trump administration 
than the media and Congress as a whole. Here's a quote. The poll of 1,123 Americans was conducted with live telephone interviews early in October, according to NPR, and a bunch of questions were asked related to President Donald J. Trump's presidency. When people were asked, how much do you trust Congress? A great deal? A good amount? Not very much? Not at all. 66% of Americans said they trust Congress. Not very much. Not at all. 31% said they trusted Congress a great deal, a good amount. When asked the same question now regarding the media, 69% said they trusted the news not very much or not at all. 29% of Americans said they trusted the media. For the Trump administration, you haven't heard it, that's why you come here. These numbers were better. 40% of Americans said they trusted Donald Trump's executive branch. 59% said they distrusted the administration as a distinct difference. And then there were Minnesota voters that I think, oh gosh, who is this guy? Here's an individual talking to folks in Minnesota Uh, This is Bill, uh, I can't think of this guy's name, but he's on Fox News. And this is what some voters said about uh, Attorney General Barr. Last year, you're you're from here uh, in Cannon Falls. Uh, You do agricultural research. Yes. When you look at what's going on in Washington, does does the impeachment talk affect your life? What's your take? It doesn't affect my life a whole lot. You know, it's not surprising, but it is still amazing. Um, you know, I think Bill Barr is about to uncover some crazy things, and I think the Democrats are just terrified. So um, they're throwing things at the wall, hoping it sticks. Uh, yep. So I don't think it's going to hurt him at all. I think it's going to help him. Yep, that's exactly it. Then there was another story that came out today. This is from my good friend Jeff Dunnitz at The Lid. You can find him at Lid. Yeah, Mike, you're right. Bill Hemmer, thank you very much. This just came out from Jeff Dunnitz today at lidblog.com. Report, the whistleblower worked with Joe Biden. Now, if I had a producer in the show, what you would have heard is the whistleblower worked with Joe Biden. But I don't have a producer, so that's not what you heard. Jeff Dunnitz writes, now it all makes sense. The supposed Ukraine phone call whistleblower, who's really just a leaker, is not only a registered Democrat, not had a professional relationship uh, with one of the, it's now found out that he did have a a professional relationship with one of the 2020 Democrat candidates. And that candidate is Joe Biden. The man who got his hands dirty by forcing Ukraine to fire the prosecutor who was investigating Ukraine company Burisma Holdings when Hunter Biden was on the board to the tune of, depending on who you read, $50,000 to $80,000 to $110,000 a month. A retired CIA officer told the Washington Examiner, from everything we know about the whistleblower and his work in the executive branch, there is absolutely no doubt he would have been working with Biden when he was vice president. But you didn't hear that. There's also another story that just came out today. Biden 
Slow Joe 30330 just tossed Obama under the bus. The Obama White House approved Hunter Biden's position. And it could be maybe that the bromance between Biden and Obama is, is, is done. It's toast. It's over. The Joe Biden campaign defended um, Hunter Biden's gig as a board member of Ukraine's Burisma Holdings. And Joe, as I indicated, he's famous for getting the prosecutor fired who was investigating his son. But today, the Biden campaign thought it was a great idea. And I I agree. I love it when we see a tussle between two people who are leftists. Today, the Biden campaign tossed Barack Obama under the bus. and They blamed Obama for approving Hunter Biden's position. Hmm. Kate Bedingfield, deputy campaign director and communications director of the Biden 2020 campaign, revealed that Hunter Biden's position on the board of Burisma was approved by the White House. Um, yeah, in 2014. Oh, imagine that. Obama and the Clintons all linked inexorably before the break. I want to play this because it's rumored that Hillary Clinton may be coming back. She may have the thrust of the Democrats thrown up to try to support her once again. A lot of people think this is coming. I'd like to remind you that this is Hillary Clinton. This has been a difficult week for the State Department and for our country. Remember this? We've seen the heavy assault on our post in Benghazi that took the lives of those brave men. We've seen rage and violence directed at American embassies over an awful internet video that we had nothing to do with. True, that. It is hard for the American people to make sense of that because it is senseless. And we will... Under the president's leadership, keep taking steps to protect our personnel around the world. Right. I am enormously proud of the men and women of the State Department. So we will wipe away our tears, stiffen our spines, the likes of which you never shed, undaunted. And we will do it together, protecting and helping one another. Lies. Just like Sean, Tyrone, Glenn. Is this not obscene that this bint speaks their names? She's not worthy to speak their names. And Chris always did. May God bless them. She doesn't believe that. Grant their families peace and solace. The families tried to find out, and she stopped them from discovering anything. A liar. Let me have the great honor of introducing someone who... You wouldn't know the first meaning ...came to the State Department earlier this week to grieve with us. He well understands and values the work that these men were doing for our country. They were tools to be used like Kleenex and thrown away. Scripture teaches us greater love their families and colleagues. To all Americans, know this. Right. Their sacrifice will never 
be forgotten. Yeah. We will conservative media done right. You're listening to the SHR Media Network. I can't take it anymore. For 50 years, I've seen the American people blinded by corrupt politicians, a lapdog media, and deceptive Islam. The one thing the elites fear is one man with a cane. I'm Dave Milner. Join me through Spreaker, iTunes, and SoundCloud, through SHR Media and the Western Free Radio Network for half a century of experienced perspective on political and social issues, weekly on The Unpleasant Blind Guy. And catch me on Jeff Mitchell's EDL Radio on blogtalkradio.com. There's no surrender ever. Because truth is not always pleasant. It's your business diva here, Melanie Collette. I am inviting you to a front row seat as I discuss some of the most intriguing details of wealth and finance with today's movers and shakers in the world of business. Listen in and discover financial truths on a global, domestic, and household scale. Uncover topics that will impact your wallet today and in the future. Money Talk with Melanie airs Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. East, 2 p.m. West, right here on SHR Media and High Plains Pundit Talk Radio. You can't afford to miss it. From a public locker inside a dilapidated Long Island rail station comes a show designed to piss off liberals using truth, facts, and ridicule. The Lid Radio Show, featuring the conservative voice from the People's Republic of New York, the Lid himself, Jeff Dunnett. Tune in every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific on the SHR Media Network. Go to shrmedia.com. At Lid Radio, we fight for the truth, justice, and a good kosher T-bone. If you don't listen, Hillary Clinton might sneak into your bedroom in her house coat late at night and blame you for her election loss. It's the Lid Radio Show with Jeff Dunnett. Hey girls, Carry Girl Gear is here. More and more women every day are concealed carrying, participating in competitive shooting, and getting firearms training. It's not a boys club anymore, and we don't have to shop in their stores anymore either. Finally, a cool and unique clothing line just for women. Dope tees and hats for the patriotic concealed carry and 2A girl. So what are you waiting for? Go check out carrygirlgear.com today. Broadcasting behind enemy lines in occupied California, a mere two miles from the state capital, the bloviating Zeppelin's Berserk Bobcat Saloon Radio Show can be heard every Tuesday and Thursday night at 8 p.m. Pacific and 11 p.m. Eastern, only on the SHR Media Network. Go to shrmedia.com to listen. You can also watch on the SHR Media Facebook page and the SHR Media YouTube channel. No goldfish were abused in the making of this ad. show on the SHR Media Network, Sackheads Against Tyranny, on shrmedia.com. Go there quick like a bunny, 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific, every Wednesday, live and direct on the SHR Media Network, shrmedia.com. Be there. Hey. 
Hey, this is Michael Wright. And I'm Shannon Wright. Join us for The Right Way with Shannon and Mike, Monday through Thursday from 7 to 9 a.m. right here on SHR Media. Why are they joining us? For fun things like sports, politics. Oh, maybe some news and entertainment? And all kinds of other things. Money and recipes and events, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, so join us Monday through Thursday, 7 to 9 a.m. here on SHRmedia.com. Conservative media done right. You're listening to the SHR Media Network. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. It's the final 25 minutes of the show. And I make reference to the fact that it's my show. If you're not in chat right now, And if you want to be in the chat room, I always recommend you go to shrmedia.com. Always go to the chat room at shrmedia.com. I'm not in the Facebook chat room. I'm not in the YouTube chat room because I can't be 10 places at once. This streams all sorts of places. I can't be in the Spreaker chat room. I'm just at shrmedia.com. Tonight, I knew it was going to be kind of a stream of consciousness night. And I respond to the people that are in chat. We still got great folks in chat. Alaskan, Simone, Jack, Wendy, Mike, Kaiser, a ton of people in chat. You can be there, too, at shrmedia.com. But during the chat room, uh, let's see. I'm going to have to go up to try to find this. I watch what's going on in chat. And uh, we were talking, uh, Hillary Clinton was lying again and talking about the four people that died in Benghazi. Kaiser said Christopher was a weapons dealer, and that made me remember this. Hmm. I don't know if you guys are ready for this because it's my show and I was going to go someplace else. Now, with that, I'm going to go here. I get to change directions and give you some information that maybe you not have heard before or it's been a while since you've heard this. there's no aspect of Obama's DC that wasn't corrupt to the bone. And that includes the, that included the FBI uh, and their continuing corruption at the DOJ. So this is interesting. A name that you've never heard before. Probably a guy named Mark Tuary. This is from Politico. Uh, This happens to be, let's see, this is back in 2016. The Obama DOJ dropped charges against the alleged provider of Libyan weapons. Arms dealers had threatened to expose Hillary Clinton's talks about arming anti-Qaddafi rebels. This all has to do with Benghazi folks and why four Americans died. The Obama administration moved to dismiss charges against an arms dealer it had accused of selling weapons that were destined for Libyan rebels. Lawyers for the Justice Department filed a motion in federal court in Phoenix to drop the case against the arms dealer. He's an American named Mark Turi, T-U-R-I, whose lawyers also signed the motion. The two most well, the most important paragraph of that story from Politico was this. The deal averts a trial that threatened to cast additional scrutiny on Hillary Clinton's private emails as Secretary of State and to expose reported CIA attempts to arm rebels fighting Libyan leader Muammar Gaddafi. So, just as Hillary, I I believe this to this day, Hillary Clinton has crap on Obama and Mark Thierry had crap on Obama and Hillary. And therefore, the DOJ was directed by Loretta Lynch, 
by way of D.C., Obama, to drop the case that could further damage, it could damage, could have damaged, Obama, D.C., and Clinton. And that's how it's played. That's how the deep state rolls. There's another important paragraph in that story from Politico in 2016. A Tory associate asserted the government dropped the case because the proceedings could have embarrassed Clinton and President Barack Obama by calling attention to the reported role of their administration in supplying weapons that fell into the hands of Islamic extremist militants. Benghazi was about a gun deal gone bad by the United States of America under Barack Hussein Obama. Make no damn mistake. Kaiser, do you agree with that? Hillary Clinton... As Secretary of State, she ended up screwing Libya and essentially had Muammar Gaddafi killed, who for the longest time, if you remember, folks, he'd been keeping him, oddly enough, he'd been keeping himself like super quiet following that 1986 bombing of Libya under Reagan. Uh, That was in retaliation, if you go back that far, because I can remember this. That was retaliation for a Berlin disco bombing where a U.S. serviceman was killed. So we sent some F-111s out to do a job. Gaddafi got in line after that. He disarmed. His son was killed, if you remember. Then Gaddafi gave up his nuclear program and WMD... In 2003, and that happened to occur under Bush. And isn't it weird otherwise, Muammar Gaddafi became a pretty quiet guy. Because he saw what happened in Iraq. Tory advisor Robert Strike of the government relations and consulting firm SPG accused the government of trying to scapegoat Tory to cover up Clinton's mishandling of Libya. The U.S. government spent millions of dollars, went all over the world to bankrupt him and destroyed his life, all to protect Hillary Clinton's crimes, he said, alluding to the deadly September 11, 2012 terrorist attack on the U.S. consulate in Benghazi, Libya, where four Americans were killed and no one was held responsible or had to atone in any way. Barack Hussein Obama, Hillary Rodham Clinton. Comma, you murderers. She knew of and had a hand in the gun running scheme, which originated, in my opinion, directly from the Oval Office. And because of the U.S. involvement in gun running uh, again, Uh, Does that sound familiar to you? Does that sound a little bit like Fast and Furious, which resulted in the death of U.S. Border Patrol agent Brian Terry, which, oddly enough, everyone seems so quickly to have forgotten his death. And it was determined, well, you know what? Asses have to be covered. Secrets have to be kept. And lives, well, you know, after all, what difference does it make? That was her quote. You remember? What difference does it make? This time, four lives. So, do you see how squalid and dirty and festering and corrupt this all is? 
Dots are connected. It's intertwined with Democrat corruption on every level. I'll break it down for you. Benghazi had to be minimized because it involved gun running by the U.S. government under Barack Hussein Obama, not unlike Iran-Contra. The running meme had to be, oh, this anti-Islamic video because Obama, if you remember, had already stated that he had al-Qaeda on the run. And anything that was not in keeping with that meme couldn't be tolerated. And then came the gun-running scheme from Obama and his Secretary of State, Hillary Rodham Clinton. Because, do you remember? The New York Times, whoa, had already published in December of 2012, two months after the attack on the Benghazi compound, September 11th of 2012, The New York Times published this. Here's the headline. U.S. approved arms for Libya. Rebels fell into jihadis' hands. Forgot about that article, did you? The Obama administration secretly gave its blessing to arms shipments to Libyan rebels from Qatar last year, but American officials grew later alarmed as evidence grew that Qatar was turning some of the weapons over to Islamic militants, according to the United States officials and foreign diplomats. That was 2012. No one yet knew at that time about Hillary and her private servers, her private emails, and all the reasons for their existence. So because of that, the the New York Times already also wrote, No evidence has emerged linking the weapons provided by the Qataris during the uprising against Colonel Muammar Gaddafi to the attack. Except that on September 11th of 2012... Following the attack, Barack, neither neither Barack Hussein Obama or Hillary Rodham Clinton knew quite what to do, realizing full well, here's the reality. Our gun-running scheme has back-fucking-fired. Again, asses had to be covered, since the attack hadn't been anticipated and the lying commenced immediately. So, do you remember... That Sunday, Susan Rice was shoved out into the media, into the limelight. She was briefed in terms of the talking points that she'd be giving the gullible American media maggots that Sunday. While at the time that Susan Rice was lying, do you remember this? Because I do. Hillary Clinton simultaneously emailed her own daughter, Chelsea, giving her daughter the alias of Diane Reynolds in the email. To me, that sounds like, what, BZ? Oh, that's right. Clear consciousness of guilt. The very night of the attack, Anne wrote that two officers had been killed, and she attributed then, in that email to her daughter, she attributed the attack to an Al-Qaeda-like group. There was no mention of a video. Hillary Clinton and her daughter both knew the truth, yet Hillary Clinton spun lies from the very beginning, meant to be consumed by the public. Oh, 
that's fine. Now we know the attack was a spontaneous reaction to a terrible anti-Islamic video created, oh my gosh, created by terrible people here in the United States of America. She lied. Hillary Clinton lied to the faces of the parents of the dead Benghazi soldiers. We've seen rage and violence directed at American embassies over an awful internet video. Okay, Susan Rice lied. Hillary Clinton lied. And Barack Obama let them both carry his water. Why? Why was that? Think back, folks. 2008, 2012. What happened in 2008? Obama was running for election. What happened in 2012? Obama was running for re-election in 2012. The fix was in. And so, oh my God, at the same time though, complications, uh, they were starting to snowball. Things were beginning to unravel bigly for Hillary Clinton. Uh, even to the extent that Christopher Stevens was present to facilitate and and monitor some of these acts. And, and because of secrecy, Christopher Stevens and three other Americans, oh, so they had to be sacrificed in order to keep that secrecy. There are even indicators that suggest that Ambassador Stevens may have been killed by the weapons that he helped to facilitate. Here's another in a continuing series of reasons why Hillary Clinton's emails could not be exposed because they not only illustrated that she was conducting secret Clinton Foundation business through her Secretary of State private email in order to keep that secret as well, right? But because I think there was also information contained in those emails about Benghazi and gun running. And those were the emails classified as secret and that are not going to be released or were bleach bitted or were destroyed or who knows where the fuck they are right now. They couldn't be released. They couldn't be exposed for two very important and salient reasons. One was that it would show Obama's complicity, right? And two, well, it would ex it would expose Hillary Clinton as well. So initially, uh, Clinton had the server set up, I believe, in my opinion, to hide the pay-to-play activities conducted during her tenure as, as Secretary of State. What do we know now about the Clinton Foundation? And Ukraine is we've discovered shock of shocks. I hope you're sitting down. Ukraine contributed the most of any nation to the Clinton Foundation. Hmm. But she also had the server set up in her, I don't know, bathroom or toilet or wherever the hell that was um, to hide the pay to play stuff for the Clinton Foundation but only during Secretary of State, because she could give the quid pro quo back then when she had the power to do it. 
but it also had that extra sparkling little bonus of enabling her to hide her failures in the role of Libya, evidenced by her duplicity and lying about the Benghazi terror attacks. Here's another thing that I bet you didn't remember, or maybe you never even heard this, since I've deigned to go off into this direction, and I kind of like going this direction. Just as a reminder for anybody thinking of being stupid enough or ignorant enough or naive enough to even remotely considering voting for this Clinton monster. You remember... Even worse than that. We learned that Barack Hussein Obama sent and received, he sent and received emails to Hillary's private server under an alias. We knew that because there were FBI records released on September 23rd of 2016. Now, at that time, Obama had, he had no idea and he felt comfortable sending emails he had no idea that the subject of hillary's private server would become any sort of an issue who could see that coming even so when it was discovered that the state department refused to disclose the content of mr obama's emails citing the presidential communications privilege and it's an executive privilege designed to quash and foil FOIA requests, Freedom of Information Act requests. So, I like bringing this stuff back up to remind you purposefully and with facts and figures. You can see how large and big and snowball and and juggernaut-like this huge thing became and, and why both Hillary and Obama continued to perpetuate lies and cover-ups. And they insisted that their, their lackeys and underlings do the same. And they insisted, you buy it. You buy off on that bullshit. People did. They didn't get better. They got worse on the email front, if you remember, thanks to Republicans like Trey Gowdy, Back then, J- Jason Chaffetz and uh, Daryl Issa, I think, were all the folks that were involved in that. They were pretty tenacious, and they were not interested really much in, in giving up. So then we got Loretta Lynch involved, and then we got James Comey, FBI director involved in the so-called Department of Justice. So now, let me throw this piece of meat out here for you. Now you understand, I hope, why it is that that Comey, James, James, excuse me, I, I need to call him his true name, Jimmy the Leak Comey. Why in, in Jimmy the Leak's fundamentally flawed understanding and reasoning. Um, And and yet he set out 
during his little speech from the podium, he set out kind of some some meaty hooks from which to potentially hang Hillary Clinton. But he determined in and of himself that he would not recommend an indictment for Clinton, which wasn't his job, by the way, because I happen to know how justice works. Real justice, real law enforcement. Did it for 41, still a sheepdog. And why in her own way, what happened is that Loretta Lynch decided she was going to throw Comey under the bus when she said, well, you know what, Jimmy, the leak, I will abide by your conclusions because they're yours. She knew the deed was done and the fix was in. She'd received, I'm sure, this is my opinion, but I am sure that she received the phone call from the Oval Office, as well as Director Comey, I'm sorry, Jimmy the Leak Comey. They both were made to understand what was at stake, and now their own very intimate political asses were on the line in Bill Clinton's coinky-dink meeting at the airport with Lynch was nothing more than a confirmation of exactly that. As in Loretta Lynch telling Bill, Oh, Bill, pat, 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 patting his knee, patting his back. Oh, Bill, pat, 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 pat. Don't worry. We're going to take care of Hillary for you. We can't have this getting out. And so we're not going to let it get out. The fix, most deaf, was in. The fix was in. Then, since we're going here, since we're here, uh, what do I got? Five more minutes. Uh, you know, the rest of the show can go to hell. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish with this for this week. Then you remember the approval for destruction by the FBI of laptops belonging to former uh, Clinton chief of staff Cheryl Mills and destruction of the laptops by ex-campaign staffer Heather Samuelson in exchange for immunity, which also limits the FBI's search to no later than back in 2015. When you give immunity, you always want to get something in return. I ask anybody and everybody now, what did the FBI or the DOJ get in return for the immunity proffered and given to Cheryl Mills and Heather Samuelson? The answer is this. Cover. That meant investigators could not review. When you give immunity... That meant investigators could not review documents for the period after that email server became public. And in turn, magically, mystically, it prevents the Bureau from discovering if there was any evidence of obstruction of justice. Remember this. Remember all of this. And why you can never elect another fucking Democrat again. 
immunity is provided for testimony, boys and girls. Were you aware of that? Did we see testimony here? You, you cannot take the fifth because due to the immunity itself, it's not self-incrimination, right? Where's the testimony of Mills and Samuelson? Why did anyone feel any impetus to um, destroy evidence? Why? Why destroy evidence? The very concept of immunity is to collect and keep evidence, not to destroy it. The only possible purpose would be to permanently destroy and dispose of prejudicial, massively prejudicial evidence against whom? Uh, that would be against, uh, let's think about this just for a second, against Barack Hussein Obama, against Hillary Rodham Clinton, against Loretta Lynch, against Jimmy the Leak Comey, against Mark Turi, who could spell immense measure of beans, rut row. Can't have that happening, can we? Oh, hell no. But, you know, you got to admit, what difference, as after all, would it make? Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, thanks for listening to the Bloviating Zeppelin's Berserk Bobcat Saloon Radio Show, live and direct right here on the SHR Media Studios, where I am broadcasting Tuesday and Thursday nights behind enemy lines in occupied California. If you want to contact me, you can find me on Twitter at BZEP, at B-Z-E-P, my blog at bloviatingzeppelin.net. Promotional consideration is by the Martin, oh, Lockheed Martin, that's it, Lockheed Martin Skunk Works, also by Pratt & Whitney. Engines thrust. You can trust. Tiaras are by My Little Pony. And thanks to my personal KC 135 Kettle One refueling team, with whom I will be concerting in less than an hour. You can take that to the bank. Thanks absolutely to no guest tonight. Thanks to you, however, for listening live. Thanks to everybody for being in chat, who, remarkably enough, is still there. Thanks to people listening in podcast. Thanks to the American Trucker. You keep America moving. Thanks to everybody. You folks have a great weekend. Be back here on Tuesday. Maybe Kurt Schlichter. God bless. Take care. Be safe. Everybody quiet down now and get some sleep. Everybody. Good night, Mama. Good night, Ben. Good night, everyone. Good night, Mama. Good night, Daddy. Good night, children. Good night, Daddy. Good night, Elizabeth. Good night, Jambo. Good night, Jim Bob. Good night, Jim Bob. Good night, Jim Bob. What's going on? I was asleep. What's everybody doing? Good night, Good night, Jim Bob. <laughs> <laughs> Good night and good luck.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.